Welcome to Molecular Coding, the podcast about the software side of cheminformatics. I started recording this series last November with two interviews at the German conference on cheminformatics in Goslar. Earlier this year, I recorded two more interviews at OpenEye's CUP user conference in Santa Fe, New Mexico. It took me until now to start editing and putting them online. For this podcast, I talked with Eamon Hack and Brian Cole about their experiences with GPU computing and success at implementing the rocks and lingo algorithms on the GPU. Welcome to my podcast, Makaru Coding. Came up with the name. I'm very happy with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're now at the OpenEye Cup Conference, 12th year of the Cup Conferences in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I'm here with Imran and Brian. We're going to talk about GPUs and GPUs and computational chemistry. So if you could, two could introduce yourselves. Brian? All right, so I'm Brian Cole. I, I work for OpenEye. Uh, run the conference here. Uh, I'm Imran Haq. I'm a grad student in VJ Pandey's lab at Stanford, uh, and I'm working there on um, computational techniques uh, for drug discovery. So I want to talk with both of you because both of you have been doing work with GPUs and making some of the algorithms for chemotraumatics very fast. Mm-hmm. So, for instance, Brian, you've done work in making rocks. I guess both of you have done work with making rocks no. fast. Right. That's right. Um, so, what is rocks, first off? So ROCKS is literally what it stands for is Rapid Overlay of Chemical Structures. Basically, it's a 3D comparison method or for taking two chemical structures and trying to overlay them. And then you're actually calculating is the volume of that overlap. And you get a similarity measure, measure out of it called the Tanimoto. Um, so essentially, they use it for, it can be applied to many, many different things, but the most traditional is virtual screening, basically. I, if I have an active and I want to find another active in my database that looks like it. So. And so... How fast is rocks? So rocks typically on a CPU, uh, the typical number we like to use is about a thousand per second. That's a good way to think of it. And fast rocks? Fast rocks on a, like a desktop machine um, can easily go a million a second, over a million a second. So a thousand times faster. A thousand times faster. Um, what is it about the algorithm that makes it ap- appropriate for um, GPUs? Makes why why is it why is this algorithm so much faster on a GPU? Um, a lot of it comes down to basically. Uh, one GPUs were single precision, and actually the algorithm doesn't need that much precision. So GPUs actually excel at single precision for one. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other is that they, they excel at 3D operations. It's a 3D method, and uh, a lot of it gets down to the core of what GPUs are good at, and that's uh, hiding memory latency. And actually, the inner loop of rocks has always been hiding memory latency, or basically a, a random hit into memory, if you can think of it that uh, that way. So the CPUs would always, we basically see always very high cache miss rates, and, but there was no way to get around that. And GPUs offer a very nice way of basically just flooding the thing with as many threads as possible to try to hide that memory latency. So Ibram, you've also been working on the FastRox code. You also worked on a few other projects too. Yeah, that's right. What, what, other have you, what else have you worked on? Uh, so I haven't actually worked on FastRox. I developed my own version of a, of a GPU-enabled you know, shape overlay method, which we call Paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and it works slightly differently to FastRox. Um, but some of the other things I've been working on are um, accelerated versions of uh, 2D uh, chemical searching. Uh, so for example, there's an algorithm called Lingo, um, which compares molecules by, um, by looking at overlapping substrings um, in, their, in their smile strings and comparing the, uh, the centers, intersections and differences between those. So when you start working on an algorithm, a like lingo algorithm, do you start with the algorithm that's implemented in a C code and you just port that directly over, or how does the translation of the algorithm go? So it depends a lot on, on the particular algorithm that you're that you're using. So, um, for example, the the algorithms used in in shape overlay and in rocks um, are 
much uh, or much more straightforward, I think, to put on a GPU because of things like memory latency and, and arithmetic intensity that are um, that are really well suited for the GPU. On the other hand, the algorithm that's uh, that's canonical for CPU lingo is actually very poorly suited for the GPU because it's extremely branch heavy. Um, uh, it's it's extremely it's extremely branch heavy, or it requires a very large uh, jump table to implement a finite state automaton. And that's the DFA solution for doing exactly. Um, and so, in order to get Lingo to run well on the GPU, um, I actually had to go back sort of to the definition of Lingo um, and figure out a completely different algorithm uh, to implement it um, that would run efficiently. That was something we had to do as well. Basically, from the ground up, we had to look at every piece of the algorithm. For doing the fast rocks. For doing fast rocks. And mm -hmm. it was basically, it wasn't just taking, you know, some old C code that we had lying around and copy and pasting it in. It was literally every line of code was kind of uh, inspected and analyzed in the, in the scope of how will this run on a GPU. So a lot of it was basically just, uh, you know, going every line of code and going, okay, will this cause things like branch divergence? Because um, actually one of the, the, the tricky bits of rocks is, is actually it's an optimizer. And by optimizer's very nature, they are branchy. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, do I go left? Do I go right? <laughs> so you do, do you solve this by, I mean, I know that in some cases when you're doing branching, you can say merge the branches so that arithmetically you're doing the branch, both, both branches, but you just use the proper result. How do you handle the branching problem? How do you solve it? How do you get around it? Um, the trick is you just try to keep your, 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 your if statements as small as possible. Mm -hmm. That's kind of one way of thinking about it. So you cancel out if statements? Huh? It's, some of it's canceling out. You should, some of it's just going, okay, these if statements are equivalent. Uh, so other parts of it is just like, um, so for example, if you wanted to negate a vector kind of thing, but you only want to negate the vector sometimes, you could go like if uh, true, negate my entire vector, or you can multiply the vector by minus one. You set a value of minus one, and always multiply that vector by some constant, but uh, you're switching on what that constant is in a very much smaller if statement in that block. So you can use lots of tricks like that to kind of cut down on the branch divergence. And actually for really small statements like that, the GPUs have hardware support to, 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 to deal yeah. with that. So, so if it's small so enough, it doesn't really Right, there, there is no branch, even though it looks like there's one in the code. Right. So if I want to get started doing GPU programming, I understand I can use my laptop and just work mm -hmm. on that. Because mm -hmm. my laptop has a GPU and mm -hmm. Right. What do I use, do to get started? What software do I use? <laughs> this is where we're going to differ. <laughs> I, I, I don't think so, actually. Right. Uh, but, um, so, uh, I mean, I think for people who are starting out with GPU programming, it probably makes uh, sense to look at OpenCL um, as, as the language that you're going to use. So there are essentially two major competing standards in the market right now for doing GPU programming. Uh, one of them is is CUDA, um, which is a, a proprietary language from NVIDIA. The other one is OpenCL. Uh, in terms of the code that actually runs on the GPU, they're fairly similar C-like languages with, with basically the same programming model. The code that you have on the, on the host side to support it looks a little bit different. Um, I think the, the key differences are really that CUDA runs only on NVIDIA, whereas CL is sort of a, a multi-vendor standard. Um, but as a consequence, there are sometimes performance consequences and, you know, uh, speed of feature adoption consequences between the two languages. So I thought he was actually going to say CUDA. So I'm going to take the route and say CUDA, actually. <laughs> <laughs> just to play devil's advocate. was Because if it's a hobbyist kind of person, mm -hmm. and if it's just you want to you know, experiment with... On a Mac? On a Mac. If you're just a, a hobbyist that want to, you know, I want to do a little bit of GPU computing, it would actually be quicker and easier to get up and running with CUDA. Why is that? Uh, simple things like just setting your kernel argument. 
in OpenCL is an individual function call with an individual index for each one. Right. And it can be quite a nightmare to try to make sure, okay, are all my arguments mapped up? Mm -hmm. CUDA takes care of that for you automatically so by using what they what call makes, single source compile. What makes CUDA really nice is that they actually have two different APIs to, to program in on the host side, one called the runtime API and one called the driver API. And the runtime API makes things really simple. To call a function on the GPU, you basically you know, add three angle brackets and make a function call, and it, it looks like it's going. Um, whereas CL is basically equivalent to the CUDA driver API, which is a much bigger pain to use. Um, now, as far as you know, getting started with GPU programming on a Mac, I'd actually say there's a bit of a caveat to that in that the newest MacBook Pros are using uh, AMD GPUs. And yes. so CUDA won't run on them. Um, but at least for the last generation ones where they were using NVIDIA, then CUDA is still a, is, is a good solution for that. And we'll make it, well, okay, so OpenCL, you could make it a lot easier by using some of the higher level things that are out there, like PyOpenCL or the C++ bindings to OpenCL. And that will take care of a lot of the, uh, the kludginess of trying to use the C API, which is actually the, the standard. The standard defines what a, a C API. Um, so if, if you use some of the higher level stuff like PyOpenCL, it takes care of a lot of that, that kind of kludgy setting arguments and stuff like that for you. Uh, plus, it has a lot of really nice other high-level features in it. Mm -hmm. um, so it's yeah, you can use it. And yeah, and I'll, I'll throw in a plug for for both PyOpenCL and, and PyCuda. If you're trying to do yeah. GPU stuff on Python, they're it's actually developed by the same person. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's convenient. <laughs> okay, so now I pretend I've now done some GPU programming for a while, and I want to make this work in my research group. Mm -hmm. How do I bring these in? Do I get a bunch of laptops, graphics cards, or what do I do? Um, it's it really d depends on what you're trying to do. So like FastRocks was designed as like a server, mm -hmm. as kind of this this large in-memory service that any client can actually hit. So it's more designed along the lines of buying one of these uh, machines that have many as many GPUs as you can pack into it as possible. Um, and can cool off. And can cool off and handle all the yeah. other things like that. Handle the power draw. Actually, some of these rack mountable things uh, require like one Dell requires like two twenty volt power, that kind of thing, because they just draw a lot of power. Um, so if you're going for that sort of service type architecture, you can buy for fast rocks. Actually, you can get a machine that's up and running for two million customers a second for less than twenty grand. Okay. Uh, you go to like a super micro kind of reseller type of company, and you get four Tesla GPUs in it, and you got to go for twenty grand. It really it depends on. Uh, how much money you want to spend because you don't want to spend a lot of money you can actually get up and going with uh, gamer cards mm -hmm. gamer cards are actually faster than actually the the tesla high performance computer with a couple cards. problems with but, a couple but, problems but they, but they are but they are they faster, are faster. <laughs> so it, so you, you just take a couple gamer cards stick them in don't plug in any video and just uh, uh, that's where part of the problem comes is a, a couple gamer cards like uh, if you only want one card in your system you're you, you know it's pretty easy to get a gamer card in there okay. it's when you're scaling to multiple then. well that's that's not really that big of a deal so my if you can get the machine that can handle I mean power yeah power. so so you know we were looking for um, so you know so to go back to your original question how do I get people you know working with them so I think you know getting a, a couple of laptops with GPUs it's an alright solution when you start playing with it but really the the performance implications of trying to deal with a larger GPU are often um, quite different, especially because the laptop GPU architectures tend to lag a generation or two behind. Sometimes they're slightly different. Um, having and they're, and they're particularly low power on purpose to yes. try right. to 
conserve power. They've exactly. never been good gaming machines. Huh? They, laptops have never been good gaming yeah. machines. Right. Oh, and also the, the memory subsystems on laptop GPUs are usually far lower performance than, than the desktop ones. So for particularly for memory-bound things like fast rocks, that'll, that'll make a, a big difference. Okay. So, um, so when you're working with a GPU program, you start off with a laptop. But you can't give good conclusive results until you've actually tested it on a real. I think you so. Can, yeah. You can easily see. I, I just ran this the other week. Fast rocks on uh, somebody's quadro card in the office, mm -hmm. and it was getting like one tenth of performance. But the quadro card wasn't designed for that sort of thing. It was designed more for just visualization. Right, and and also so, a, lot, a lot of the visualization cards are you know relatively low shader count, and so mm -hmm. they're you know they're they're perfectly adequate for graphics, but they're not really designed for really high end compute stuff. Um, so, you know, for example, the first machine that I was programming on for, for GPU stuff was a, was a low-end, you know, like $60 GPU. Um, and then when it became clear that, you know, there, there really is a there there, we got some high-end GPUs and started pushing those. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, what Brian was saying about gamer GPUs, the primary GPU dev machine I use um, in the lab now actually has a pair of, of gamer GPUs, a GTX 480 and a GTX 260. And when mm -hmm. we're when we're buying the machine, we're trying to find you know so just some online vendor you know where we can plug in, where even a power supply big enough to deal with the draw of two GPUs. And so you know we, we compared you know Dell workstations and HP workstations, and in the end it turned out the cheapest solution was just to buy an Alienware gaming desktop. Right. Yeah. <laughs> nice. so any reason you mix the 260 and the 480 because they're different generations? Is, yeah. Is that well, on purpose? Uh, no, it's because when we bought the machine, they were out of the 480. So I got one oh. with a 260, and VJ said he would buy me a 480 when one became available. <laughs> now, I don't know if you to look at it. But Amazon now offers GPU cluster, GPU um, yes. CPUs. I guess GPU instances. GPU nodes, yeah. GPU nodes, and they're it's two dollars and ten cents an hour for a two, two Tesla. Nvidia Tesla Fermis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. That's good, I assume. Um, I, I'm insulated from the costs since I work for an academic institution, so I don't really know. Because um, I'm thinking about the overhead of if you're developing this for yourself or in a group, you've got the who maintains it, who knows the specialized knowledge of what kind of power CPU, mm -hmm. all stuff you just talked about to get this working. Right. And especially if you're going to do, I guess if you're going to do, how would, hmm, when you do stuff with uh, fast rocks, mm -hmm. that's usually going to be a few minutes of work or a few hours of work? Or? Uh, a typical query, we just, like PubChem at the demo that we had last night was 68 million customers. That was under 30 seconds to run. But that depends on having it all so loaded up. That depends on having it all loaded mm -hmm. up, and that's where it becomes tricky. That's why you wouldn't want to go for a cloud solution like Amazon with fast rocks because load time is everything in it. The idea is it runs as a service continuously and if you have to, you know, you can pay constantly to Amazon. <laughs> I'm sure they would love that. I'm sure they would love that. Yeah, but it's one of those, in that type of situation. Though it's one of the, for maybe like a one-off virtual screen doesn't make sense, but if you wanted to do like some large-scale clustering mm -hmm. where you're loading it once into memory and then hitting it many, many, many times while you actually have your GPU instances going, then it might be uh, really viable. Right, as long, as long as you can amortize that load time. As long as you can amortize that load time. Yeah. It's all about, what. okay, so one of the chief things that you really have to learn when you learn starting to do GPU computing is it's all about data movement. Mm -hmm. It's all about data movement between your main memory and your GPU memory, between 
GPU memory and your local caches on your actual chips on your GPU. So you're constantly thinking about that data memory. And it's this hierarchy of data memory. And that's the downside of the cloud is you'd have that network. <laughs> and if you're working on really large data sets, which are, I think, you know, a lot of the reason people are interested in GPUs, then you really do start worrying about the latency moving from disk just to system memory. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where the load time in, in FastRocks as well as some load time in, uh, in paper comes from is you know, we use slightly different data formats, but I still have to read, you know, this giant HDF5 array from disk and load that in. Mm -hmm. but of course, if you have to open your algorithm, you want to test that on a real machine, you could do, go to Amazon, try that. For oh, yeah, absolutely, hours. sure. Oh, yeah. So how did you, two, these are the sorts of skills that are not typically taught in uh, computational chemistry. Yeah. How did you get into this field? I got into this field uh, through a friend, actually. He basically uh, offered me an internship at YF. Mm -hmm. uh, and basically, I, I had started doing you know, Python programming in my teens. Um, and he's like, oh, you know Python. Well, I got a lot of Python that needs writing. <laughs> uh, so I started in it that way. Um, and did he come in as a chemist or a Python I came programmer? in as basically, actually, I came in, I, it, was, it was only one year in college. I hadn't even selected a major yet. Mm -hmm. um, and so it actually kind of helped me select a major to get into this field. Because I'm like, oh, I, I do like computing. I do like science. So, okay, I'll do that. Um, so it's yes, but the, for how to learn GPU computing on your own, uh, the best I can say is read everything. <laughs> read. Don't go like, all right, I'm programming in OpenCL, so I shouldn't read the CUDA documentation because there's a lot you can glean from the oh, CUDA yeah. world and oh, apply yeah. to OpenCL and vice versa as well. Uh, so and read I, and everything. Then I, I saw there was a book, uh, GPU Gems. He's yeah, an so author in the chapter. Congratulations! Yeah, thank you. Yeah, so there's a I think volume, or, you know, they they were calling it volume one and volume two, and now I think it's called Emerald Edition and I don't know, like Chartreuse Edition. Uh, but uh, but yeah, so they there's this uh, a couple of books out now called or one out now and one coming out in like six months called GPU Computing Gems, um, and the the first volume is on. Uh, methods in, in scientific computing and I think the second one is you know sort of programming programmer libraries and more system software um, support stuff and so um, basically what the what the books are is just a, a collection of case studies um, from different groups about applications they've managed to port successfully to the GPU and then you know sort of the tricks um, that they use to make them work so the chapter that I wrote is about you know how did we make uh, paper go fast for shape overlay and how did we do um, and how, how do we make lingo go fast by this algorithmic transformation, and then sort of exploring the different optimizations that you make along the way and what kind of performance impact that has. Nice. Is that book out already, or is it soon to be out? Or? Uh, so the first one is supposedly out right now, although we haven't gotten the copy that we were supposed to get, so I'm not sure. <laughs> so, I haven't read it yet. It hasn't been out. Do you actually walk through, like, okay, this was the first implementation, and then we transformed it this way? Yeah, so so, um, so the, the chapter that I wrote, I mean... You know, there's there's obviously you know several thousand lines of code, and so you know it focuses on you know sort of the the main objective function kernel. You know, what can we do with this? So it gives you a listing for you know the the sort of critical few lines in there, and then it says, okay, well, what can we do with this? Why is it slow? And it walks through like four different iterations and shows you know by the end of this we got something that performs like three x as fast. And then you know what can we do with the different kernels that are on the GPU as far as trying to minimize the the data movement that that Brian was talking about. I um, mean, it turns out that you know because the data movement is so bad, um, there are actually a couple of steps in the algorithm that run really poorly on the GPU. Like they are way under underutilizing the GPU, but because you don't have to copy data back to the CPU, that's a huge win. 
to actually do that. So I'll ask you the same question I asked Brian, which is, how did you get into this? Well, you came in from chemistry, and then you started doing computational work, and then GPUs, or no? So I actually, um, I actually came in from the electrical engineering, and computer science side. So I was, I was a double E in in undergrad, um, and I did some undergrad research with a parallel computing group. Um, the way that came about was actually this was long before GPUs were sort of flexibly programmable. It was like shader model 1.0 stuff. I talked to my advisor about doing some GPU computing project. She said, that's way too hard. Why don't you learn uh, traditional supercomputers? Uh, so I did that, and I did some double E stuff for a while. Um, in undergrad, I got interested in computational biology and that sort of stuff. So when I came to grad school, um, I told um, uh, my current advisor that, you know, I'm, I'm interested in all these sorts of things. Um, basically, uh, the way that I got into GPU computing was I was running rocks, actually, and I was like, I want to do really big data sets, and it's not fast enough. I've heard GPUs are cool. I wonder if I can do something with this. Um, and that's just sort of how it came about. Um, so, you know, as far as, you know, how people can get into GPU computing, I think Brian's exactly right. Just like read as many of the resources as you can. I think when both of us got started, a lot of them didn't exist. And so it was a lot harder to figure out what you were doing. I think it took me like five or 10 times reading the first few chapters of the CUDA programming guide before I really understood what the memory model was talking about. Um, and you know, reading, reading the NVIDIA guide, I think the, the AMD docs have gotten a lot better as well. Um, the CL spec is a spec, so it's sometimes hard to understand. I think the, the respective vendor programming guides sort of give you a better introduction. And then just write code. You know, the first version of paper that I wrote, I remember coming back to it a year afterwards and just finding things that were horrifying after I learned about the GPU. But you know, it still worked. So what will be a good uh, first or second project, or I guess first project for someone in chemistry? Rocks, so shape overlay, or I like the Tanamoto. Which Tanamoto? Oh, bit, the, a, bit, a fingerprint Tanamoto. Yeah, bit vector Tanamoto is actually not a not a bad one to go for. It's trivial to get your first thing in there, and you'll get a huge speed up. And but there's also this iterative thing that you can do to really, really try to squeeze, squeeze performance out of it as you go. Yeah, I agree. It's, 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 like, a, it's, it's a simple enough that. calculation, and yet it yeah. it encompasses a lot of the aspects of parallelism and memory bandwidth and. And things like that that'll uh, you'll learn a lot. It, it makes it self-contained, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you know, uh, you both know I have a blog that I write things every once in a while. Right. And I've had interest in fingerprint ten models. So mm -hmm. once I get my first step into doing some GPU programming, I'll try that one out, and then I'll see what you all did and see how much slower I am. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh. All right. Anything else to add? Sounds like a no. Yeah, I think. Uh, All right. That's pretty good. Well, if, if you are doing fingerprint Tanamoto's, I think at the moment it's easier to go faster in CUDA because it has a, a population count intrinsic. Although you suggest genius. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you'll, you'd have in OpenCL, I guess you'd have to write your own. Your, but you know that's a that's a cute problem in its own. In its own I've life. done that. Yes. All right. Well, thank you both very much for for talking about GPUs, and um, let's get back to the conference. Yeah. Thanks, thank you. I'm Andrew Dahlke. Thank you for listening to Molecular Coding, and thanks to Imran and Brian for being my guests. The recording took place on March 8, 2011, during a break at CUP. The content of Molecular Coding and any accompanying show notes are licensed under Creative Commons Attribution No Derivative Works 3.0 U.S. License. The theme music was composed and performed by Andrea Stefan. Mm -hmm.